All right, good to have you here tonight, and let's go ahead and take our Bibles, and we'll begin by turning to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. Uh, again, we're on a series on fishing for men, and so we're going to consider some thoughts here tonight uh, that hopefully be a help to you. Again, we're going to consider here some night uh, tonight uh, the centerpiece of personal evangelism. Uh, the centerpiece of personal evangelism. And uh, being Missions Sunday today, it's good for us to maybe consider some thoughts concerning the gospel. And so, again, we're going to be concentrating on the centerpiece of personal evangelism, and that is the Bible's gospel. And we'll be defining the gospel here today. We're going to be looking at what the gospel is. We're going to try to be able to see how the gospel was conveyed. We're going to see even what a counterfeit gospel entails. And so we've got a lot of uh, road here to cover here tonight. But we can begin here in Mark chapter 16, starting in verse number 14, as we see Jesus call the disciples to carry the gospel to the world. Mark chapter 16, verse number 14, it says, And after that he appeared on the leaven as he sat at meat and abraded them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not them that he had seen after he had risen And uh, he said unto them, Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, and he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils, and they shall speak with new tongues, and they shall take up servants. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover." So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, and the Lord working with them, confirming the word with signs following. Amen. I want to begin here with this verse here, in verse number 15, a familiar verse, the Bible says, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Tonight, I'd like to look at this thought here, the centerpiece of personal evangelism, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray as we consider this message here today. Father, thank you again for your word here tonight. Uh, we do thank you again for the gospel that's been delivered to us. And certainly, again, there are people here that have been saved through the gospel message and know what the gospel message is, and yet they're is a difficulty at times for us to convey this message to other people. I pray here tonight the message be helped to us, to help us to be able to, to, to spread the good news of the gospel to other people, uh, that they might come to salvation and the knowledge of the truth. Again, just bless this time as we consider this uh, centerpiece of evangelism, the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we see here in Mark chapter 16, the disciples told to bring the gospel to every creature. Going into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We should not neglect anyone when it comes to the gospel. The gospel should be delivered to the whole world. That is the mission of the church of Jesus Christ. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The defining of the gospel of Jesus Christ is given to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we're going to look at the Bible's gospel here uh, tonight as we consider it as a centerpiece to personal evangelism. It's very easy for people to get off track when it comes to talking to people about the truth. And certainly, again, we need to talk to people about the truth. We need to talk to them about God and the things of God. 
but central to our message to the world is that of the gospel. And so we need to concentrate largely on the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1, it says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, wherein you have received and wherein you stand, by which you are saved if you keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he arose again the third day according to the scriptures. We see again the Bible and Jesus tell the disciples, the church, to bring the gospel to the world, preach the gospel to every creature. We see here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul defined what the gospel entails, and we'll look at that here in just a moment. But there's a need to preach or proclaim the gospel. This is the responsibility of Christians. This is the responsibility of every person who's been born again. And so that, again, includes you or me. If we are saved and we're baptized and we're part of a church like this, we need to be presenting the gospel to other people. But uh, let's consider, first of all, as we turn back to Mark chapter 16, what is the gospel? You can't present the gospel if you don't know what the gospel is. And so we need to consider what the gospel is. The gospel, the word gospel means good news or good message. And uh, everybody likes a good message and everybody likes good news. And certainly, again, if the gospel is good news and a good message, it certainly should be delivered to the whole world. What is the gospel? Again, it's the good news given to us and sent, by, sent to us by God. It is a good message. It is a message that can free people from sin and, and bring them into the kingdom of God. And so let's turn on to Mark chapter uh, 4, if we could. Mark chapter 4. As we think about the gospel, it's a good news. Ninety-eight times you find the word gospel used in the New Testament according to my computer program, and, and many times it certainly is accurate, etc. But 98 times we find the word gospel in the New Testament is, is a New Testament term. In Mark chapter 4 here, in verse number 23, we see Jesus Christ in his ministry presenting the gospel message. Uh, Mark chapter 4 and uh, verse number, I may have a wrong reference here right away. Mark chapter 4, verse number 23. I don't think that's right here. Maybe it's... <clears throat> Got a wrong reference right off the bat. Maybe it's Matthew. Let's just go to Matthew chapter 4 and verse number 23. Matthew 4, verse 23. <clears throat> yeah, it's... Just a wrong writing down reference. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, it says, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of diseases uh, among the people. And so we see, again, Jesus go about all Galilee. And what is he doing? Preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And so as we think about the gospel, it is about a kingdom, a kingdom that you can enter into by faith, a kingdom that you can be a part of, a kingdom where at the end of the kingdom, there is a king, and the king is Jesus, and the king will rule and reign here on the earth one day. He has a kingdom also, a heavenly kingdom, and you can be part of that kingdom. And so he began to preach the gospel 
of the kingdom of God. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, the good news of the gospel, there's a kingdom of God that can be entered into. And after you enter in that kingdom, you have over you a king that loves you and cares for you. That king actually died for you and died in your place. Matthew chapter 11 and verse number five, the good news is good news is there's a kingdom we can enter, a different kingdom, a kingdom of light, a kingdom of love, a kingdom of truth. Matthew chapter 11, verse number 5, we see here, the Bible says, And the blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, and the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. So we think about this good news, this good message. It's a message of the kingdom of God. It's secondly a message that's good news for the poor. And for those maybe who do not have much in this world, is a, it is a message for the needy. And certainly, again, everybody needs the gospel. Matthew chapter 24, to go forward, presenting the gospel is something, again, that people need. It's something, again, that the poor need. It's something, again, that was delivered by Jesus Christ to the poor. Uh, specifically, the disciples mentioned that as they're talking to John the Baptist concerning uh, Jesus in his ministry, Luke chapter 4 here, verse number 18, it says, And the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, to recover of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Here we find again the gospel is preached the poor, the brokenhearted, the captives, to the blind, to the bruised. It's preached to the whole world. The world is to hear the gospel. The world is to heed the gospel. And uh, we find, again, the gospel message being a helpful and beneficial thing for people. It's good news. It's a good message. We see also, if you turn over to Acts chapter 20, verse number 24, it's a message of grace. And again, we, we know, again, the message of most religions in this world is that of works. The uh, message of most religion is the world, follow our religion and our ritual and whatever we mandate for you to do. But we find here in Acts chapter 20 and verse number 24, the message of the gospel is a message of grace. Acts chapter 20, verse number 24, it says, But none of these things move me, neither count on my life dear unto myself, that I may finish my course with joy, and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus Christ, to testify the gospel of the grace of God. You know, the gospel, again, is, is good news because it's centered around this thing of grace. Grace is getting something that you do not deserve, nor anybody deserves. God can save a person by grace. God can give us a living grace. God, again, redeems those that truly need grace. It's grace that's needed for the whole world. So we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, again, back to our text there. Again, the good news of the gospel is grace can go to the whole world. 
It can go to those who need it the most. What do uh, people need the most? They need most the gospel of the grace of God to save them from their sin. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, it says, I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Men need a savior. And Jesus came to save. In fact, the Bible says, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And so God sent his Son to redeem man. He came to them to bring them grace. Let's turn to Romans chapter 10. Just back here a little bit. Romans chapter 10. The good news of the kingdom. The good news to the whole world. The good news of grace. We don't deserve grace, but we can have grace. It's also good news of peace. We can have peace with God through the gospel. This world, again, is certainly desires to have peace, and certainly, again, the world strives for peace, but they'll never have the peace that the Bible talks about in general, not until the Prince of Peace comes. Romans chapter 10, verse number 14, it says, How then shall they... Call upon him of whom they have not believed. And how shall they believe on him of whom thou not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace. And bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who have believed our report? And so the good news of the gospel offers peace. Peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. This peace is not through works. This peace is not through religion. This peace is not through penance. This peace is not through baptism. This peace comes through the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's turn to Colossians chapter 1. You want peace with God? You need redemption through the Lord Jesus Christ. This redemption through the Lord Jesus Christ came as Jesus Again, through the foreknowledge of God and through the power of God came to this world again to redeem man from his sin and his sinfulness. He came as a savior, a redeemer, a daysman. Again, that, that, uh, that, that person we need uh, between us and the Lord, that, that uh, substitute that we need. Colossians chapter 1, let's pick up in verse number 13. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness... Colossians 1, 13. And has translated us in the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him are all things created that are in heaven, that are on earth, invisible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities and power, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Then in all things he might have the preeminence. Notice now it says, For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself by him, I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you who were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, 
yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. If you continue in the faith, ground is settled, be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard and which ye have preached to every creature which is under heaven, wherefore I, Paul, am made a minister. As we consider the presentation of the gospel, it's a presentation of peace through the blood of Jesus. Again, it's peace through the blood of Jesus. The Bible mentions peace through the blood of his cross. Verse number 20, that we be reconciled to him uh, by our wicked works and reconciled to God, being presented to God after salvation is holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. The gospel can make a significant change in the life of a sinner. It can transform their life from a, a place of darkness, it mentions there in verse number 13, to a place of being part of the kingdom of his dear son. The good news of the gospel is that God desires this kind of relationship. He desires to impart grace to us. He, he, he desires for the world to know and hear and understand the gospel. But I want to mention also here as you turn over to Galatians chapter 1, Galatians chapter 1, that this gospel, this gospel that the Bible has was not concocted in the minds of men, but was given to us by God himself. And people might think of the gospel as maybe being foolish. The Bible talks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It's foolish to those that are not saved, but to us that are saved, it's the power of God unto salvation. In Galatians chapter 1, notice here in verse number 12 and uh, verse number 13, the Bible says this, Galatians chapter 1, verse 11 and 12, it says, But I certify, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught of it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. The idea of the gospel came from Jesus Christ. The idea of the gospel came from God. It is not some thing that man came up with. The message of the gospel, again, a message of giving grace to those that don't deserve it, certainly wouldn't be something that man would create. Man would create a perverted gospel, a gospel that makes you have to work so much to have redemption. A gospel, again, that maybe, again, has you part of your redemption, whatever it might be. But the good news of the gospel is a message of grace to those that don't deserve it. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want to say this also as we consider a presentation of the gospel message. It's not only good news for us, but it is, again, good news not to be connected or confused with baptism. Again, I mention this because people often try to add some kind of ritual to that of salvation. They also try to add uh, maybe something we need to do when it comes to salvation. And so let's pick up in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 13. The evangelist, the missionary, the apostle Paul fervently communicated that the gospel was not attached to baptism here. Let's notice this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 13. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you, but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say I had baptized in my own name. And I baptized also the household of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. 
If you just stop there, did Paul baptize many people? No. He obviously didn't. I mean, the Bible says this. At least at the writing of this letter, he hadn't baptized many. I baptized also the house of Stephanus there. He mentions Crispus there and Gaius there back at verse number 14. And then he says this in verse 15. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be a none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us that are saved it is the power of God. And so what is the preaching of the gospel? It's the preaching of the cross of Christ. The Bible says, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to baptism and the gospel they do not go together. They're not connected. They're not to be confused. Some people look at baptism and they'll say, that's the means that God gives grace. That's the means by which you become a child of God. If that were true, then Paul certainly didn't see many saved at all during his ministry, nor did he try to see many saved during his ministry if indeed baptism was the means of salvation. Uh, going back to the verse number 14, it says, I thank God that I baptized none of you, but Crispus and Gaius. Thus any of you should say I had baptized them all. And I baptized also the house of Stephanus. Besides that, I know not whether I baptized any other. If baptism was the, need, the way which people could be saved by, why did Paul not baptize? In fact, if you look in the gospel, why didn't Jesus baptize? The Bible says to a large degree. His disciples did, but he didn't. Because it's not the means of grace. It's not the means by finding peace with God. The Bible mentions the gospel. It's one thing. Baptism, a separate thing. They're not to be confused. We're not to look at the good news and say, you know, the good news is once you're baptized, you become a child of God. No. Once you receive the gospel, you become a child of God. Once you believe the gospel, you become a child of God. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The good news can be received or rejected. And it's quite obvious here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, as Paul writes concerning the gospel message, he mentions here that the good news can be received or rejected. Those at this church here at Corinth received it, along with Paul. Notice in verse number 1 and verse number 3 here, as it mentions some things pertaining to the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 1, it says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, wherein you have received, and wherein you stand. This gospel message was received of the church at Corinth. And again, it was, again, the gospel message, again, in which they stood. It mentions there in verse number 2 that this is by which they were saved. It mentions in verse number three, I delivered unto you, first of all, that which also I received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture. Not only that did the Corinthians receive it, but Paul also received the gospel message. Not only did Paul receive the gospel message, but I received the gospel message. Not only did I receive the gospel message, but most of you have received the gospel message. And the gospel message is a message of grace. It's a message of the kingdom of God. It's a message to the poor and needy. It's a message to the world. It's a message of peace by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's a message that was not concocted by man, but rather by Jesus Christ. 
It was a message that, again, was not connected or confused with baptism. And it's a message that must be received or it may well be rejected. Let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Again, as we talk about the gospel message, again, there are many, again, that are confused when it comes to the gospel. And I just want to mention this before I go on too far here in the message here tonight. But this little track here that we have in that track rack back there, and that we've handed out a lot to community around here, has the gospel message probably in its most concise form uh, that you can probably find anywhere that I can think of, that I've searched and I've looked for. Not that I've searched everywhere, but I just, this is the gospel message. It's not that long. It's on a few pages. It's in small print. But I'm just saying this. If you'll listen to this message, you'll receive this message and not reject this message, you can be saved by just receiving the gospel message. It was given to save. It was given to redeem. It was given so that we might have eternal redemption with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to show you here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 13 that this message of the gospel is one of absolute truth. You can trust it. You can trust it with your soul. You can trust the good news of the gospel. You can trust it and be redeemed. You can trust and be forgiven. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when we received the word of God, which ye heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. You know, these Thessalonians, they heard the word of God and they believed in it and received it as it is true. The very words of God. They didn't look at it again as this message that Paul delivered onto them and Silas delivered onto them or Timothy delivered onto them. It was just a bunch of things that maybe these Judean uh, people were conveying to these Grecian type people at this time in history. But they looked at it as good news and a message from God and to them. And that is the gospel message. Let's turn forward here to 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, verse number 10. As they heard this message of the gospel, they received it, they believed it, and they were saved by it. Just like the Corinthians, they were saved by it. Just like anybody who receives the gospel today, they are saved by it. But yet, you'll find here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse number 10, that some will not receive the gospel message as it talks about in this chapter. And I believe that it's also talking about the rapture in this chapter and some other things in this chapter. But I just want to cut in here and I read just one verse out of this chapter. Again, you can read through the other rest of the chapter some other time. But it says this in verse number 10, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. Receive not the love of the truth. What is the truth? It's the gospel message. What is the truth? It's Jesus. The truth can be displayed, relayed, conveyed, and showed to people, but the reality is people must receive it for their own self. One cannot put their hands on someone and say, now you've had, the gospel message is now conveyed to you. Now, because I've laid my hands upon you, now you're saved somehow through the words that I say. 
Again, you're not saved again by confirming your faith, but by believing the gospel message. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, let's go ahead and read verse number 8, verse number 9. Those at Thessalonica, again, were saved by the gospel message. Those of Corinth were saved by the gospel message. Saul was saved by the gospel message. Let's consider what they, again, begin to convey as a message. And what did they do? who received the gospel message. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse number 8 and 9, it says, For from you sounded out the word of God, not only in Macedonia and Nokia, but also in every place your faith toward God is spread abroad, so that we need not speak anything. For they themselves show us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. With the gospel message, there's always a turning. The Bible mentions to turn to God from idols. You know, some will turn from their works, their dead works, as it mentions in the book of Hebrews, and they turn to the living God. The good news of the gospel is that you can be saved by grace, but you must receive it or you will reject it. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Again, we're looking at the gospel message. Again, it's a gospel of grace. It's a gospel of peace. It's a gospel of God being merciful, the people that need mercy. It's a gospel of a holy God sending forth his son to, to save people from their sins. It's, again, a good news to the poor. It's good news to the brokenhearted. It's good news, again, to those who are hurting. It's good news to those that are bruised. It's good news to those that are needy. But let's look at the particulars of the gospel. What is this message really, uh, again, talk about. Well, verse number three, it says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. There are three components here we find to the gospel. That is God's gospel. That's the Bible's gospel. They're given to us of Paul here. The first one is Christ died for our sins. He died for our sins. Jesus died because of your sins. Jesus died because of my sins. Jesus died to redeem us from our sins. And as we think about Jesus dying, people talk about Jesus dying on a cross, and it's a faraway event for them. To many, it's, again, something that's not personal for them. But yet Paul said Jesus Christ died for our sins. Not only for Paul's sins, not only for the church at Corinthian sins, but for all people that sin. Let's turn to Romans chapter 5. He may die for everybody as far as their sin is concerned, but that doesn't mean that people will receive the gospel message because they won't believe in a, in a message of grace. They want to take again the message of grace and mix it with their works. They want to take the message of grace and mix it with their sins. They want to take the message of grace and maybe distort it and, and try to define what grace is in an unscriptural manner. But notice here in Romans chapter 5 and uh, verse number 6, what is, uh, again, this, this thought that Christ died for our sins, what does this mean? What this means is that someone died for you. Someone died for me. And that one isn't, isn't just someone. That's the creator of this world. That's Jesus Christ in particular. Notice here in Romans chapter 5, verse number 6, it says, For when we 
That's you and me. We're without strength. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Who's we? Uh, me, who's ungodly. You, who's ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man would one die, yet peradventure would a good, for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commended his love towards who? Us. You and me, the ungodly. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Jesus died for you. Jesus died for me. He proved that love by dying in our place. He proved that love by dying as a substitute for us. Romans chapter 5, verse number uh, 6 says, For when we were without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. You know, until you think, you know, and you really think about yourself as ungodly, until you really see yourself as lost, until you really see yourself as needing a Savior, you're not going to ask Jesus to save you. It's necessary for to understand, again, the gospel is a gospel of peace, is a gospel of grace, and is a gospel that needs to be received. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. You know, someone had to die in your place. Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages of sin is death. There's no way of getting around that someone had to die. It's either you die or Christ must die in your place. And so we find in the Bible that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And because he died for our sins according to the scripture, he's the substitute we need. You know, in the Old Testament, they understood the substitutionary uh, factors of the Old Testament. They, they understood that lambs would die in the place to atone for sin temporarily. They again, uh, again brought turtle doves there to the altar, and they brought bullocks to the altar, and they brought all kinds of different animals to die to deal with their sin. But a person had to die for our sin. Jesus had to die for our sin. A perfect man had to die for our sin. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 24, Jesus had to die for our sin. To have your sins forgiven, to have your sins cleansed, to have, again, pardoned from God. Jesus had to die for our sins, according to the scripture. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, it says, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we should, being, uh, thee being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye are, he are healed who his own self bear our sins. What kind of sins have you sinned against God? What kind of sins have I sinned against God? God bore those sins, every one of them, in his body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should no longer live that way, but live unto righteousness. Notice also there in chapter 3, verse number 18, the Bible says this, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Bring us to God by what? By means of death. 
So we see the gospel message, first of all, is Christ died for our sins. That's good news. Because if you had to pay for your sins, as we talked about this morning, the wages of sin is death, but it's not just death, but it's eternal death. That's the second death. And certainly none of us would want to die for our sins. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 4, the Bible says here, secondly, the second part or component of the gospel is that Christ was buried. Many wonder maybe why Christ was buried. And again, I don't know exactly maybe the answer here. There's certainly probably quite a few answers here. But they needed to know that he was dead. And when you bury someone, you know they're dead. We don't dare bury, again, living people. And so Jesus had to die, and so he was buried. And the Bible says he did this according to the scriptures. And so he had to be buried according to the scriptures. He would die in a tomb that was provided for him. He was buried. The Bible says there in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 4, and he was buried. And certainly, again, someone says, why do we need to talk about this burial? Because a burial proves that someone died. Death was necessary for sin to be paid for. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And so he had to die. He died physically for us. And he was put in a grave for a time there temporarily for us. Romans chapter 3. Let's turn over there. Romans chapter 3 verse 25. The gospel message is a gospel that God loved you so much. And he sent his son to die in your place. To die for your sins. So that you might be reconciled to God by the the blood of Jesus Christ. Again, the Lamb of God was sent so that people could be saved from their sins. Romans chapter 3, verse 25 says this, Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. How can God forbear not judging you? How can God forbear... And not cast you into a place called hell. How can he do that? The Bible says there he can justify you. And he can pay for your sins through his blood, the Bible says there. Verse 26, to declare I say unto you at this time that he might be just and a justifier of him that believeth in Jesus. Verse 28, and we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. And... The Bible says Christ was buried. Christ was buried. Let's turn to John chapter 19. We see him being put to death on the cross in John chapter 19. After he was put to death there on the cross, they buried him soon after. And so let's just read through this. John chapter 19, verse number 30, it says, And when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. And the Jews, therefore, because it was a preparation that the body should not be, remain on the cross on the Sabbath day, for the Sabbath day was a high day, besought Pilate that their legs should be broken and that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and brake the legs of the first and the other which was crucified with him. And so you see both those, crew, those uh, criminals on the cross had their legs broken. And they're going to die as a result of this. Verse 33, it says, And when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came out 
blood and water? Why did he pierce his side? Maybe to see if he was dead or alive. And it goes on there, it says, And he that saw it bear record, and his record is true, and he knoweth that he saith is true, that ye might believe. For these scriptures were done, that the scriptures should be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken. And again, another scripture saith, They shall look on him whom they have pierced. And so that's found in the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 20, uh, 22, verse number 6. They're going to look upon him who they have pierced. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave, and he came therefore and took the body of Jesus. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night, and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. And then uh, they took the body of Jesus and wound it up in, in, in clothes with spices as a manner of the Jews to bury so they took his body, and they wrapped him up, and they prepared his body. Verse 41, it says, Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and the garden a new sepulcher, where never man had laid. And they laid they Jesus, therefore, because the Jews' preparation day for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. And so Christ was buried. It doesn't tell us about these thieves, where they were buried, but when, again, people die, we bury them. Burial is a very natural and normal thing. This proves, again, in the Bible that he was indeed dead. I'm not going to have you turn there, but Matthew chapter 12, verse number 40. Jesus said there in Matthew 12, verse 40, that as Jonah was three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, so shall the Son of Man three days and three nights. Uh, and, and the bellies of a whale, it would be three days, three nights in the, in the whale's belly. And so we find, in, again, the Bible that Christ was buried. And again, that's a very known and well-known message. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The third part of the gospel message is that not only did Christ die for your sins and my sins, according to Scripture, he also was buried. And so he died as a substitute. He paid the death price for us. But we see also here in the Bible that Christ rose again. And we've talked about this very recently, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. But verse 14, it says, And he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. The good news is not just that Jesus died for our sins, and then he was buried, and that's the end of Jesus. He rose again, the Bible says, according to the Scripture. The Gospel News is really only good news is because Jesus lives. Jesus is alive, which means we also can live. As we see here, as you read further in the chapter, let's look at verse 22. As in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But everyone in his own order, Christ the first fruits afterward, they at Christ's coming, then come at the end, when he shall deliver up the kingdom of God, even the Father, when he shall put down all rule and all authority, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his foot, and the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. The Bible talks about Jesus Christ there. It says there in verse 22, In, in Adam all die, in Christ shall all be made alive. If anybody's made to live, and allowed to live, it's going to be through the power of Jesus Christ and the power of God over death. 
This message of the resurrection was conveyed in the book of Acts. Let's turn over there if we could. Acts chapter uh, 3. Again, if you want to know how to present the gospel, again, it would be good to study again those preachers in the book of Acts, how they conveyed it. It would be good to look in the gospels and uh, see how Jesus did it. And we'll be looking at some of that, Lord willing, the weeks to come. But in Acts chapter 3, notice here in verse number 15, in conveying the gospel message, we need to cover these three important things, the particulars of the gospel, the death of Jesus Christ, the burial, resurrect, uh, the burial, res, uh, burial of Jesus Christ, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's pick up at verse 15 of Acts chapter 3. The Bible says, He killed the prince of life, whom God raised from the dead, where we are witnesses. It is named through faith in, this, in his name, hath this man be made strong, whom you see, and yea, and faith by which he hath been given perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I want that you were through ignorance you did it, as did also the rulers. But those things which God has showed by the mouth of the prophets, that Christ should suffer, he has so fulfilled. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you. Now, Peter's again here trying to convey the gospel message. And there's a lot of different things said here in the gospel message. But he mentions how they killed the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Life, sorry, in verse number 15. And he mentions there that God raised him from the dead. And he mentions there uh, through, his, who, through faith is a man gives soundness in his presence. And so we see again the gospel message given here in Acts chapter 3. And uh, we find also in Acts chapter 4, just the next chapter, Acts chapter 4, verse number 2, it says, And being grieved that he taught the people and preached that through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. He preached the resurrection from the dead. Verse 10, same chapter, it says, Be it known unto you and all the men in Israel, by the name of Jesus of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him does this man stand before you whole. And this is a stone that was set at naught of you builders, which is become the head of the corner. Neither is a salvation in any other for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. Peter and Paul and John the Baptist and Jesus preach the message that Christ must die for our sins. He must be buried. He must rise again according to the scriptures. This again was something that we see the Old Testament and the teaching of Jesus talked about that would happen to Jesus. John chapter 5, verse number 39 says, Search the scriptures. And I encourage you to search the scriptures concerning Jesus Christ. As we talk here about this thought now here at this point, I'd like to talk at the validation of the gospel. How do we know that Jesus was indeed the Savior that would come into the world? Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 53. And again, I encourage you, if you had time and opportunity to Take the book of Isaiah, take the book of Psalms, and look at those prophecies concerning, especially these two particular books, concerning the Messiah. 
and what the Messiah would do. Now, I understand, again, there'll be parts in there that talk about the kingly reign of the Messiah, and that will come. And again, we don't need to confuse that with the matter. But we must first see that he will suffer and die. And Isaiah the prophet said this would happen. And so let's pick up on Isaiah chapter 53, that familiar chapter that I believe Peter and Paul and, and Jesus went to when trying to point to the Jews who Jesus would be and what he would do. Isaiah chapter 53, verse number 4, it says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, and have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquities of us all. So this... Messiah would bear the sins of many, goes on here, talks about that. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, he, was, he opened out his mouth, he was brought as a lamb before the slaughter, as a sheep before the shears is dumb, so opening out his mouth. He was taken from prison, from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off of the land of the living, for the transgression of people he was stricken, and he made his grave with the wicked, and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. He had pleased God to bruise him. He had put him to grief when he shall make an, uh, his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed and shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by the knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities." It goes on there, last part of verse, he shall bear the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. He made intercession for the transgressors, the two transgressors, the two thieves there. He bare the sins of many. Isaiah chapter 53 validates that Jesus Christ was certainly the Messiah. Isaiah 53, verse number 9, it says, He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. And so he died for our sins. He was buried, according to the Scriptures. And then he rose again. Let's turn to Psalm chapter 16. The idea of a resurrection is that taught in the Old Testament that someone living might be raised from the dead. Well, let's look here in Psalm chapter 16 and verse number 10. Psalm 16, verse 10, it says, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thy Holy One to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of light, and in thy presence is fullness of joy, and at thy right hand are pleasures evermore. David writes here, and he says, Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, Neither wilt thou suffer the Holy One to see corruption. The Holy One, Jesus, will not see corruption. His body will not uh, you know, decompose and, and again turn into dust like all other bodies would. He would be raised there the third day. Much like Lazarus was raised. Much like Jonah was raised in figure. Just like Isaac was raised in figure. All these point to the rising of Jesus from the dead. We don't have time here tonight, but Psalm chapter 22 deals with the Messiah. 
Look at Psalm chapter 22 and see all the things that the Bible says about the Messiah. Talks about his piercing and all those other prophecies that uh, we see come to pass in the New Testament. Let's turn to 1 John chapter 5. I'm just about done here. 1 John chapter 5. Why the gospel message? Why was the gospel of John given? Why was the scriptures given to us? Well, let's turn to 1 John chapter 5. And consider here finally the consideration of the gospel. What will you do or what will I do with the gospel? Well, look at here. 1 John chapter 5, verse 11. The Bible says, And this is the record that God hath given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. What is it that we must do? As unbelieving people, we must believe the gospel message. We must believe it is true. We must believe it, the saving of the soul. Turn to Romans chapter 10. The gospel of truth. The gospel of truth, if it's delivered to you, it's delivered to you even tonight. That message of truth, again, is that Christ died for your sin as a substitute so that you might not die in your sin. He rose again to conquer death so that you too might conquer death in the same way that he conquered death through the power of God. Romans chapter 10 here and verse number 4 says, For Christ is the end of the law of righteousness to every one that believeth. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is the law. That man should, that doeth those things, that he should live. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, saying not in thy heart, who shall ascend to heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who shall descend up to, to the deep, that thou should bring Christ again from the dead? And, but what saith it? The word is nigh unto thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou should confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus... It shall believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the, for the same Lord is over all is rich unto them that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The consideration of the gospel is will you believe it? Will you receive it? Will you consider it? The gospel is clear. The gospel is given as good news, a good message that you can be saved by grace, that you can have peace with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's close as we consider the centerpiece of evangelism, the gospel.